The other is inspiration. That always annoys and sort of bores me. Where did you get your inspiration? <laughs> Michael Longley, the poet, said, if I knew, I'd go back and get some more. Hello and welcome back to the Vintage Podcast with me, Lena Norms. This week, we are really honoured to have the Booker winning Irish author Anne Enright in the studio with us today. Her new book, which is published on the 20th of February, is the story of Irish theatre legend Catherine O'Dell, as told by her daughter, Nora. It tells of her early stardom in Hollywood, of highs and lows on the stages of Dublin and London's West End. As you read Nora's account of her mother, you start to realise that Catherine's whole life is a grand performance. Fame turns to infamy when Catherine decides to commit a bizarre crime. Actress is an incredible book about the corrosive nature of celebrity, about sadness and triumph, and I was so honoured to get to pick Anne Enright's brains about her incredible writing. So here is my interview with her. Thank you so much for writing such an incredible book. But I thought it was really interesting how the book was sent us, you know, it really does pass the Bechdel test when it comes to two women talking to each other yeah. <laughs> about things that are men. And, and so you're also involved in the Penn International Women's Manifesto. Do you, did you, when you came to thinking about writing this book, was it was it a thing where you were like, I want to tell women's stories in, in interesting ways, or was it kind of just like I'm interested in these characters and I'm yeah. not? Yeah, I mean, um, I've always written about women, and it, it was mm. actually in my last book, The Green Road, that I had two pretty central male characters, and I, mm. it had just never occurred to me before. And it was really good fun writing men. And I thought, oh, oh yeah, I can see why people might want to do that <laughs> but I more or less write about human beings and then they're mm. female because that's what I know best mm. um, I, 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 yeah I've, I've done an amount of work on gender in publishing and reviewing and um, I keep a BDI and all that and I'm quite an advocate uh, but that's my political life it's not really my creative life yeah um, sense. just when I'm writing a book that doesn't really figure I just have mm. stuff that I need to put together I found the figure of Catherine O'Dell. She's an actress. She goes through from the 40s right up to the 1980s. Um, she's a big Irish figure. And actually, whatever that was, did at least three things for me in terms of telling stories um, and how we tell stories and also in terms of Ireland a bit and what that was. Um, I don't know why I put it from the point of view of the daughter. It seemed to be the natural way to go. Mm. Is interested in glamour, and I think that glamour is kind of in part its idealization, which children do of their mothers very much, but also that glamour contains this little hint of loss. You know, when something is glamorous, it's already nostalgic or it's already receding from you. Mm. So that was a really good moment for a daughter to have about her mother. So she has this big famous mother. And of course, she's everything to to the daughter as well. So mm. those two things went together very well. Yeah, and I loved that it was told from the perspective of the daughter because it felt it kind of reiterated the fact that she was completely unknowable <laughs> in some way. And there was this yeah. privacy almost even in an intimate relationship. Well, the daughter goes through it. The first half of the book is almost like a memoir and she tells you exactly where her mother was and what she did and all the rest of it. Mm. And like a lot of memoirs, you're somehow... There's a lot of colour and detail and interest and curiosity, but somehow you haven't got the key to the person mm. or the key in this case to what the person ends up doing because um, the mother, the actress, the star, ends up shooting a, a small town producer in the foot. 
I found it really interesting the the way you describe the theatre. You've played at Trinity. Uh, yeah, You're on the stage a lot. Tell actor, me a little bit yeah, about that and, yeah. and how that's been woven into the book or, or research around. I wanted to write a theatre book for years and I've been looking for good theatre books for, for, for decades because I just love the kind of hopefulness of it mm. and the slight tawdriness of it and the, how shambolic backstage is and how what the difference between backstage and then going on under the lights is like. And I did I did an amount of uh, s- small amount of acting when I was in my early 20s. Um, and, and at one stage I had considered working at it as a career, mm. but I was as unemployed as every other actor was in Dublin <laughs> at the time, which is pretty standard um, unemployment rate of 95 percent in the profession. Uh, but anyway, I decided it was a bit of a mug's game and I, I turned to writing instead. Yeah, definitely. A bit higher percentage of writing, maybe well, marginally. You know, you're always employed, Lena, when you're yeah. writing. You may <laughs> not be very true. earning anything, but you... Uh, you're busy. And, and most people yeah. aren't, but you're busy. Mm, yeah. That makes a lot of sense. So you're also a professor of fiction. How oh, does that... Yeah. Does that affect the way you write now? Do you think it's changed because you're teaching it as well? Does, do you feed off students does it change the way you think about writing or is it kind of very separate for you yeah I teach creative writing in UCD and I really enjoy it I love the freshness of the page and the fact that it isn't finished yet the feeling that uh, and, and seeing it, seeing people's work shift within in, in that unknowable way when they bring it into an MA and they start passing it around and they suddenly start seeing what they're doing it all makes sense um, it's a very steep learning curve for people it's quite anxious um anxiety provoking uh, and it's a big moment for them and I, and I like being there um, around that energy mm. I don't necessarily take anything to my own process as the Americans would say I don't necessarily t- take anything to, to my to the desk from the classroom except that sense that this is what you're it's like this is the air you breathe is how sentences are made where you put your comma making all the difference, how you can hinge a story or a book on, 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 yeah, on how you can turn it on a dime, mm. how you can build it slowly. I mean, when you're in a book, you're inside it. It doesn't change on book 11. Yeah. <laughs> you're inside it. You don't quite know what it is. And I suppose then there's a time when you start to look at it and say, yeah, now I know, now I know. And that is, that's glorious. When that happens, that's really, oh my God, mm. it's really good fun. Did you find the process of this book um, any different to the other books? You've, is every kind of book very different or, or do you feel like you you have a flow and you... Um, well, every book is the same. <laughs> <laughs> In that, I spend an enormous amount of time not getting anywhere and slightly in despair and rewriting and rewriting and rewriting what feels like the wrong paragraph. Mm. And that goes on sometimes for months. <laughs> <laughs> and or it always goes on for months. I, I mm. mean, let's be frank. And then I, I realized that I've been growing the book, that I've been solving other problems off the page. So there is a time where, where there's a tipping point where you're actually it's actually moving. It takes yeah. about that's about a year in for me. Wow. <laughs> and then another year in. I, I get the I get it. I know where I know what mm. the whole thing is going to be. Now, I'm a really foolish hopeful I'm, I'm, I'm a I'm a great fool at the desk because I don't know where I'm going when I start a book 
feels optimistic. <laughs> it <laughs> is, so I'm going to... But it works, it, obviously. Well, somehow it works. Mm-hmm. There must be some sense there but of, mm-hmm. of an ending or where it's going. I'm, I, I, I had the, the mm-hmm. episode that the, the, the mother shooting the producer in the foot and I must have had a, an amount more of motivation and history there as well. But I just didn't know what was going to happen along the way. And I'd have such an easy life if I could just make up my mind and say, okay, this is a book in three parts and it takes place in three days and, you know, wakes up at 5 a.m. and it (laughs) ends at 12 midnight on Thursday and here's, you know, what happens. And then I just go typey, 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 type. But the problem, I think, with books that are too pre-planned is that they're a bit, they're a bit finished. They're a bit dead on the page. You mm. like something that's making itself up as it goes along. Yeah, you don't want to be seduced by parameters. <laughs> well, no, um, yeah, yeah, I mean, people who get all their ducks in a row, you've got a row of ducks. Yeah, <laughs> it's not the most entertaining. Yeah, no, and there might be wooden ducks. I like that. Um, tell me a little bit about um, um, how you think maybe people respond in Ireland to your writing as opposed to, to anywhere else. Do you see a difference? And this book is so much... You know, a lot of it is set in Ireland, but it also features this character that is, I don't think it's too much of a spoiler to say that she was born in England and she very much sees herself as Irish and and being Irish is is almost a performative aspect of her in some ways. Yes. Tell me about that. How do you feel about the perception of Irishness? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I was really interested in in this mongrel tribe of actors, you know, Um, in the 40s, there were actors that came over and back from London to Dublin and then we went around the countryside um, to bringing Shakespeare to the small towns and, and, and then saying, aren't the Irish wonderful the way they shout at, at the stage when, when Romeo thinks Juliet is dead or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> um, so they were slightly patronising as well, but they galvanised these small towns. People really remember them. They were very important. They were real interest and, 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 and difference to the texture of normal rural life, which in those days was quite impoverished. They did a Jane the Wars. Anyway, I love these guys. Um, it's been like Shakespeare Waller. The, um, the, they, the, they worked in India as well. But yeah. So they were a kind of colonial remnant in a way, but they weren't entirely English or Irish or anything. It was mm-hmm. hard to identify. There was a guy called Michal MacLearmore who uh, ended up founding the Gate Theatre with Hilton Edwards, and they were the only gay men in Ireland. For, for decades and they were a couple and everyone knew they were a couple and they were in the theatre so that was fine so that's already really interesting but Michal MacLeamore who had apart from anything else uh, beautiful beautiful Irish Gaelic Irish was born in somewhere like Wilsdon really? yeah <laughs> and he made himself up mm. at what point did he change that? Um, he came to I, I'd have to look it up again. Yeah, but it's, it's he so came young to Ireland and and decided he was going. He was called Mac Williams, I think, or yeah. Williams. And he turned it into MacLeamore, and he yeah. spoke like that. Yeah. And he had an Irish theatre voice, <laughs> in which he did wonderful renditions. And people didn't find him out. I guess that we've got the internet now. You wouldn't be able to. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> can you imagine. No, doing that now? He, uh, and so there was this gay couple and his sister. Married Anya McMaster, who's in my book, and they went around the. I didn't. I didn't. This is all history outside of the book, yeah. and they went around the countryside. And you think it's possible they mightn't all have been straight. You know that might be another kind of mongrel identity that they weren't. They were. They were between borders and between countries and between identities, and they were actors, and that's what they were supposed to be. Yeah. I mean, that's what 
put, that's what set them out in the road, you know, so they couldn't quite fit in in either in 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 the place. They, you know, they couldn't quite fit in in either place one way or the other. They had to keep moving and they had to keep shifting persona. So I loved all that. Um, I hope the Irish readers like it. Uh, there, there are about thirty people who get everything in the book, you know, and get all the kind of hidden jokes as well and all the references. Um, a lot of them are friends in the theatre, so you know, I hope they, <laughs> I hope they do like it. Um, but it's built to 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 work internationally as well. It's not all an in job of mm. of in jokes for Ireland. The Irish readership has been amazing for for decades, but I, I'm, my reputation has shifted in terms of the critical culture in Ireland. But the readers are very silent, constant in all the Irish writers' lives because they they tend to read the books and they might not tell you that they've read the book. They would find that slightly intrusive or embarrassing. Or, you know, they don't, mm. they don't, and they might not, I, they might say, I, I, di I didn't want to ask you to sign a book because I didn't want to bother you. Right, <laughs> like, yeah. okay, that's, um, and they don't necessarily blog and they don't uh, necessarily work out at book clubs. And more, they, they are more opinionated now, but they were a very quiet readership for a mm. long time, but, but they kept an eye on everything and they, had an opinion about everything um, and they are the kind of engine that has kept the, the very uh, sleek machine that is Irish literary life moving. Yeah. I'm not going to say sleek machine, am I? Maybe, <laughs> you say sleek machine. <laughs> maybe edited out. We're not really a sleek yeah. machine. We're, we're a very energetic, shambolic machine. <laughs> Steampunk like sort of Yeah, definitely. Job. Because um, I think again, maybe I'm I'm taking an impression of of Ireland. My, my mum is from Dublin, so I have a little bit of an impression of it, but not well, not completely. I feel like the writers are so much more integrated with the readers in Ireland, and maybe more likely that you meet them or they're they're around in the community. Do you do you think that um, there are any misconceptions about the writing process that you come across a lot, maybe from students or from from people from outside of writing? Yeah, I mean, one of the things about Ireland is that everybody knows everybody else anyway. So mm. uh, it doesn't make any difference if you're known for writing or, right, yeah, or not. The, the you know, it's just, you know, part of the being of the the, in the neighbourhood, you know. Mm. Um, I think a lot of people, Irish or not, read a book and almost think that it's written in the same time as, they, as, as it takes to read. And the news that it takes two or three years is, is always a shock. The other is inspiration. That always annoys and sort of bores me. Where do you get your inspiration? <laughs> <laughs> Michael Longley, the poet, said, if I knew, I'd go back and get some more. Um, <laughs> yeah, pop back with my with my big car. And you had the shock cars. I'd stock up, exactly. Yeah. Um, where do you get your ideas from? People have ideas all day. Mm. I, they might call them opinions or, you know, Perhaps a case of catching on to something be before it becomes an argument or an opinion in your head. Mm. Um, but people have patter going on in their heads all the time and they're talking to themselves and they're seeing things and they are also imagining things. Um, so it's just about stepping into your into your thought processes at the right time. Yeah, that makes sense. 
um, sitting and dreaming and whatever. Yeah. The, and the big question I have is like, how do you stop? How do you stop imagining things as well? Because kids do it so naturally, mm. so easily. You know, you give a child a fish finger and he will turn it into an airplane. So when do we stop? And who stops us making, you know, turning the fish finger into an airplane? It's really, it's quite a sad question. Yeah, definitely. You know, it's always it's always available. And um, um, when people ask about it, I do sometimes feel that it's a sense of real loss then that, that this is something that they used to be able to do, but don't necessarily do anymore. And maybe that's the, the pull of fiction, I guess, is to get to watch somebody else do that. Yeah, or, yeah, or yeah. To permission to do it themselves yes. a little bit. Yeah. And that's why maybe it's different from TV and film because you're really creating a, a lot of it in your mind. <laughs> you really are. And, yeah. and, and how the voice is experienced when you're reading is really interesting as well, how close it is to mm. to your thought pro- your own pro- thought yeah. processes. Yeah. You sort of become the narrator for a while. Yeah. Leaving aside the question of inspiration. Yes, <laughs> the, yes, the yes. I word. Um, are there any writers that you that you've loved and maybe have you know the, the inspired isn't the word we're going to use but like yeah. are there any writers that you're like that's what makes a good book that's what you know that's the kind of thing that you know anybody growing up that you were reading that you were like that's or do you think that you found your own style and it and it's not quite as comparable and um, i remember hitting um uh, michael Ondaatje when i was a student uh, uh of in uea and reading in the skin of a lion and going oh my god how did that happen so what I, it's not Oh, that it's not that recognition. What I get is, how did they do that? Yeah. That's the question I have. Um, beloved by Toni Morrison, I could really reread it endlessly because I just say, how did she do it? Mm. And you start breaking it down and breaking it down. And actually, I took Beloved early in my writing career and I broke it absolutely down into a page by page map, structural really? map. Yeah, just to see how how did she do it? Of course, it's all in the language. You can't break it down sufficiently ever. But I was just quite interested in how she managed the structure of it. Um, and the answer is very well indeed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So these are kind of lyrical writers who move across time and place with ease. That that was it. That was interesting to me. Mm. Um, sometimes readers complain that they can't that, that I hop about the place too much. Um, but I'm not a linear thinker or writer um so so you're gonna uh, you see so the i'm really interested in 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 switching and swapping and and building things almost by juxtaposition you know so mm-hmm. so that you're building a narrative in that way yeah i think i heard you say in an interview once that you you build a book like a airplane or something oh yeah <laughs> or like you kind of oh, like plug bits in and it's more mechanical than people we, we <laughs> it, we're back to the airplanes again yeah there's another line about the um about airplanes uh, in the book, which is uh, yeah. <laughs> it's clearly an obsession of mine. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, people think that imagining or making their book is somehow like flying and they can't fly. They say, how do I do that? And I say, no, it's not a bird. It's a plane. You build it. You stick the wheels on and you make the wings right and then you launch it and it'll fly. That's how you make you make fiction. Yeah, you don't. It just it isn't a case of opening your hands and a dove flapping out skywards it is you make it yeah and and it, and it looked like a dove 
yeah. you're lucky. <laughs> With the character of Catherine, there was a line that I really liked um, that I wrote down. This is, um, she talks about, well, her, her daughter talks about her walking around and, and being recognised a lot and, she, and her enjoying it. But she says... Um, it was funny to her because they did not know her at all. That was the great joke of it. <laughs> and the idea of like, you know, um, feeling that recognition for somebody but not really knowing them. Um, do you think that you have that with writing as well? Because like, it's it's such an honest kind of medium to show yourself in. But also people perhaps don't know you from your books oh, yeah. entirely. Do you know no, what I mean? Uh, I think uh, it's interesting as you are also somebody of note that people may, you know, sit, sit on the bus with and be like, oh, I think that's Anne Enright. Do, yeah. you, do you have that thing in, in your life of being known and unknown? Uh, I, I kind of enjoy it, I have to say. And, <laughs> and I, I'm, I'm kind of playing a little with it in this book. Somebody asked me yesterday, he says, it's written by a woman who lives in Bray and has two children. And you used to live in Bray and have two children. And you still have two children. And I said, yeah, yeah, yeah. You were right. <laughs> yeah, well, well observed. Yeah. Um, but of course, it's not It's not me. Mm. Um, I'm just sort of messing. Yeah. And yes, thinking what, what would an alternative version of my own life be and that's a that's that's one of the mm. engines of fiction is is thinking how would things have been different if or how can I make things different now? It's that kind of tracing of pathways for yourself, which you do sometimes narrative pathways. So yeah, it's written by a woman who lives in Bray with two children, as I used to write in Bray. I don't I don't live there anymore, but I I, I really thought it was the right place for her to be. Um, and so it's a version of someone like me, but not, it's really not me. Mm. So that's a bit of fun. Yeah. And do you find it interesting? I mean, obviously, this is a bit meta because I'm interviewing you, but do you find yeah. it interesting when people are like, I've read the book, so I must want to know the author and, and pull out personal stuff from you? Yeah. Well, I mean, in, in 2007, I had a book called The Gathering, which was quite a quite a dark book. And it was quite it's quite stained. It's called mm. Bad Things Happened in it. Um, uh, a lot of the sexuality in it was very off, deliberately so. It was. I mean, I was all on purpose. I was reading a lot of guys who were doing sexually dark books, and I thought, well, what would happen if a if a woman did a sexually dark book? How would that work? Mm. I remember taking my son to school and a woman looked at me in the line and she, he was four. <laughs> and I, and this look went across her face and I thought, what did I do to her? What did I do to her? And then I thought, oh no, she's read the she's book. Read the book. <laughs> she's read the book. And, and uh, but it, it goes without saying that books aren't real and people are real. And I am real, but my books are not real. I think people are much more important than books. It's kind of, kind of interesting how the confusions happen. Mm. But I have, a, and then so after I after I, I I I pretended to I didn't really pretend anything. But after I wrote that book, then I write another one about adultery, which nobody seemed to look at me <laughs> sideways after that. And then I write another one with a different style of mother or daughter or, or or family and people say oh it wasn't her along maybe this is her and so you're you're messing yeah i like that writing yeah. is messy yeah <laughs> bit of messing about yeah thank you so much for listening to the vintage podcast actress by Anne enright is out on the 20th of february 
If you do get your hands on a copy, tweet us at Vintage Books or contact us on Instagram at Vintage Books to let us know what you thought. We always love hearing your thoughts on the books that we feature. Thank you so much for listening to the Vintage Podcast. If you enjoyed it, do rate or review us on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. We'll be back in our next episode with amazing reading recommendations. And until next time. Thank you.